Hi, this is Carly, Recovered Alcoholic. Welcome back to North Star Big Book. I'm happy to have you here. You can either listen along to the podcast while you're out doing things, or you can open up your book and study with me and take notes so you can take somebody else through. We are in Bill's story, part three of the podcast about Bill's story. We are on page 10, halfway down. Um, This is after the physical allergy and mental obsession become pretty unbearable. He um, is welcoming death, and he's now remembering the first page of Bill's story when he sees the tombstone. So it says, That wartime day in old Winchester Cathedral came back again. I had always believed in a power greater than myself. I had often pondered these things. I was not an atheist. Few people really are, for that means blind faith in the strange proposition that this universe originated in a cipher and aimlessly rushes nowhere. My intellectual heroes, the chemists, the astronomers, even the evolutionists, suggested vast laws at force at work. Um, At this point, I stop and try to remember who were my heroes when I was out there. And my I was named Carly after Carly Simon. My parents were hippies. My heroes when I was drinking were Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, and Jim Morrison. And I wanted to die young and leave a good-looking corpse and live fast and live hard and party and go out like a like a firework. And I never focused on what ended up happening to them. I just focused on what I perceived to be heroic. And what I learned out later when I got sober and I actually really looked at it was all three of them died overdosed of alcohol and drug addiction. And But then my heroes were these people that were living this wild, insane, unconventional life, and I tried to live that same life. It says, I had little doubt that a mighty purpose and rhythm underlay all. I underline purpose and rhythm because that's a reminder of what I can start to conceive of my spiritual condition, of my concept of God. How could there be so much of a precise and immutable law and no intelligence? I simply had to believe in a spirit of the universe, so that's another way to say a higher power, who knew neither time nor limitation, but that was as far as I had gone. So he's saying he's not an atheist, because there's three kinds of believers. There's an atheist who does not believe in a higher power. They Their belief is non-belief. They either firmly believe that there is no God, or they say you cannot find out one way or another, so they don't believe. Then there's agnostic, which means one without knowledge. So it's somebody who believes in a power greater than themselves, but does not rely on that power, or someone who doesn't know if there is or isn't, but still doesn't live as if there is. And then the the third type is the true believer, and that's someone who believes in a power greater than themselves and makes decisions based on that belief and can see that power working in their life. And at this time, Bill is saying, look, I'm not an atheist. I don't believe that this world is nothing. I believe in something. I believe in a spirit of the universe. I believe in a purpose and rhythm. I believe in something that doesn't know limitation, but that's as far as I can go. With ministers in the world's religions, I parted right there. When they talked of, I underlined the words, a God personal to me. This is the first time they really start to introduce this idea. This idea is one of our most amazing selling points of Alcoholics Anonymous. We say to anyone who wants to get better, 
you have to believe in something bigger than you and we don't care what it is. And it's not our business, it's only your business and it only needs to make sense to you. And I don't know any other organization or religion that tells you, believe in whatever you want, don't believe in what we believe in, believe in what you believe in. And this is what Bill is saying here. And here's what he imagines that to be. Love, superhuman strength, and direction. I became irritated and my mind snapped shut against such a theory. On the top of 11, it says, To Christ I conceded the certainty of a great man, not too closely followed by those who claimed him. His moral teaching most excellent. For myself, I had adapted those parts which seemed convenient and not too difficult. The rest I disregarded. This concept is taken out of context by well-meaning members of Alcoholics Anonymous when they tell a new person who's balking at the fourth step or the third step or the eighth step or the ninth step and one of the members says to them, take what you want and leave the rest. And my mom, who's sober in AA, says, and may you rest in peace. This is not a cafeteria. Our program is very simple in black and white. We're either working the program or we're not. We don't get to pick and choose what part of it works because the big book, which is the first 100 men and women's experience, tell us half measures avail us nothing. <clears throat> The wars which had been fought, the burnings and chickenery, the religious dispute had facilitated made me sick. So now he's arguing about the big stuff that's happened in life and how can there be a God, which I totally can relate to. I honestly doubted whether, on balance, the religions of mankind had done any good. Judging from what I had seen in Europe and since, the power of God in human affairs was negligible. The brotherhood of man a grim jest. If there was a devil, he seemed a boss universal, and he certainly had me. So Bill is just looking at the negative parts of religion and spirituality and is only pointing out the things that have gone wrong and then claims that his God is basically a devil. I bracketed the next paragraph where it starts at, but my friend, and I wrote on the side identification. And I also wrote on the, on the side through the 12 steps, through the 12 steps. So we're going to read through this, and I'm going to highlight where um, we're going to apply through the 12 steps. But my friend, that's Ebby, sat before me, and he made the point-blank declaration that God had done for him what he could not do for himself. I underlined his human will had failed, and I underlined that in red because that's pretty clear. Above that sentence, I wrote step two. So he... Because he has no human will in step one, he seeks out a God, which is step two, the solution. Doctors have pronounced him incurable. Society was about to lock him up. I was there. Then, like myself, he had admitted, I underlined in red, complete defeat. And I, I wrote above that steps one through three. One through three is just admitting complete defeat. One is the physical allergy, mental obsession. I'm powerless. No one can help me. Two is I believe that there's possibly a way out and that... I don't know what it is, but I believe that it's possible. And three is making the decision to do the work. All three of those require complete defeat. Then he had, in effect, been, I underlined, raised from the dead in red. And above that, I wrote four through nine. Four through nine is where we get raised from the dead. So I'm going to pause for a second here and explain how I take women through the 12 steps because my, one of my sponsors told me that um, you need to have a metaphor that people can understand. His metaphor was that his sobriety and his drinking was like a pike 
um, I picture like a U-pipe in underneath a sink and that his got blacked off, completely blacked off from his alcoholism, blacked him off and there was no clean, fresh flowing water. And the steps unblock that and then keep them unblocked. And so he can have fresh flowing water. And he told me I needed to find my own way to communicate this to other people. So the way I picture it is like this. And I'm going to probably talk about this for the rest of the podcast whenever I talk about the steps. I picture myself sitting in a frat house or a crack house, similar situation, on a nasty couch with like cracks in it and masking tape and dried fluid and burnt holes and parts of it are missing and it's nasty. The room is small, filled with smoke. All the ceiling is filled with smoke. There's pizza boxes and Chinese boxes and bong water and drugs and alcohol bottles and everything's everywhere. And I'm alone and there's loudness and I can hear sirens and the room is clearly on fire and the building's on fire and there's smoke everywhere. Step one is looking, the only exit is a door that's got a window through it and there's a long skinny hallway. And in that skinny hallway is boxes and bags and garbage and things I've thrown in there and mattresses and old doors and windows to block off the hallway from the outside exit door, which is exit the building, which is where the paramedics and fire people are to protect me and save me. I blocked the hallway off over the years through my selfishness, my dishonesty, my resentments, my fears, my victim stories, my, oh my goodness, if you understood what my life was like, you would understand why. And I blocked myself off so I wouldn't get hurt anymore. And I carried around the garbage so no one could come near me. And I would hurt you before you could hurt me so you wouldn't touch me. That protected me when I was living that life. And now I'm dying in this life. I'm life without living, death without dying. The building is on fire. There's no way out. Step one is sitting on that couch and knowing that there's no way out, that I've got a physical allergy, a mental obsession, nobody can help me and I can't help myself. That's step one. Step two is believing if I take this end table next to the couch and I break open the window and I pull open the door and I start pulling in the room all the junk that I pulled in the hallway so I can tunnel through that I hear those firefighters shouting, is anyone in there and they can't get to me and I can't get to them because I've blocked myself off from them and they can't see, that I can create a pathway so I can get through the hallway and out to freedom. Step two is, is the belief that if I do something that I've never done before, which is opening that door up and starting to pull the stuff out and tunnel through, that I can get free. Step three is making the decision to do that. A decision I've never done or that I've tried to do and I've never successfully done. One, two, and three are steps that I can do sitting on the couch. Four through nine is pulling out the stuff out of the hallway with, with a sponsor who knows how to pull stuff out of a hallway and the guidance of a sponsor and a higher power. I want a sponsor who goes through the book and the steps the way that it's laid out like the first 100 men and women, who's done this themselves, who does it all the time, and can help me figure out what to do when I get stuck or I get bruised or I get cuts or I get up tired or I feel overwhelmed and can guide me. I have to do the pulling out and the sorting through and they will help me identify what goes where. So four and five is pulling out all the junk 
six and seven, I look at it all with my sponsor, my higher power, and I say, I don't want this stuff anymore. This is blocking me off from breathing and from living. Eight and nine, me and my sponsor put everything in boxes and label each box. Mom, close the box. Dad, close the box. Boyfriend, brother, grandma, school, job. Okay, so everything goes in a box. We line it up from floor to ceiling against the wall just enough so we can shimmy through just a little teeny bit on the side. And that is the, the beginning of four through nine. Eight and nine is getting me ready so me and my sponsor and my higher power can take one box at a time, go out into the world, repair the damage I did with my mom, with my dad, with my boss, get rid of the space the box is taking up so that the goal is my hallway is completely unblocked and there is no longer wreckage from my past. That's the goal is that I can have a free flowing hallway and then I'll clean up the hallway and then I'll repaint the hallway and I'll redecorate that room and I'll make everything fresh and new and I'll start a new life. And as long as I take care of that hallway with 10 and 11, with daily cleaning up the inventory through my hallway, when I spill some soup on the floor, I clean it up right away with the 10th step. When I start my day, I picture the hallway and I think about the things that are gonna be in my hallway that day and I ask my higher power for guidance because my higher power is on the other end of that hallway and that's where my freedom is. And my job as a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous is to keep my hallway unblocked and clean so it is a place I can go for peace and refuge and guidance and direction. 10 and 11 is me keeping my hallway clean and 12 is going out and doing the work that I need to do with the guidance, direction, and inspiration of my higher power that I can only get when my hallway is unblocked. If I just do four through nine and I make a big deal about it, and it is a big deal, and I don't daily clean up my hallway every single day in 10 and 11 and connect with my higher power and make it right in 12, then my hallway will become blocked again. I will feel overwhelmed. I will no longer feel or hear God's direction. I'll sit back on that room. I will never leave that room, and I will believe the lie that there is no other way out, and I will end up back where I was in a burning building. So that is how I describe the steps. And here we are on page 11. Then he had, in effect, been raised from the dead. That's four through nine. That raises us from the dead. Suddenly taken from the scrap heap, and I underline, to a level of life better than the best he had ever known. And that's 10, 11, and 12. Four through nine is not fun, and it's not easy. You're not going to find rose petals in the hallway. Everything that's in the hallway needs to leave. We need to either... Repair what we took, throw it out, recycle it, repurpose it, but we need to give it back and we need to make it right so nothing stands before me and my higher power. 10, 11, and 12 is how I get to a level of life better than the best he had ever known. It's where I hear the small, quiet voice within me that says, you need to go talk to that girl or you need to call this person, or why don't you send a message to this person, or maybe you should go to this meeting, or you know what, you should probably ask someone this. And I hear that voice when my hallway is unblocked. And when my hallway gets blocked, which it does every single day, I do inventory work and I try to connect with my God so I can be of maximum service in 12. So we're going to come back to that idea again and again and again. Had this power originated in him? Obviously it had not. There had been no more power in him than there was in me at that minute. And this was not at all. That floored me. It began to look as though religious people were right after all. Here was something I underlined at work in a human heart which had done the impossible. I double underlined in a human heart. 
and above it I wrote, where our power lies. So my God has always been within me, but like that hallway, I have blocked off God, the passage of God in my heart from my brain into my heart. And that passageway is blocked with resentment and fear and dishonesty and selfishness and victim crap and all the junk and the stories that I've carried with me. And that is why when I go to Alcoholics Anonymous and well-meaning people say to me, Carly, let us love you until you can love yourself. I don't feel or hear anything you're saying because I'm blocked off. When my family says that I'm killing them with the way I'm living, I know I'm supposed to be sad, but I feel nothing. I feel like a psychopath because I'm blocked off from my higher power, from my strength and my guidance. And until I do the step work to unblock me, especially four through nine, and keep it unblocked in 10, 11, and 12, I cannot feel and hear and know, which is why we need to get the girls and the guys that we meet in AA right into the inventory work because we're dealing with life and death. It says, my ideas about miracles were drastically revised right then. Never mind the musty past. Here sat a miracle directly across the kitchen table. I wrote on the side, attraction. Remember, this is Bill's drinking buddy, who he got in a lot of trouble with and knew was just as crazy as him, had been committed. And he's saying, here's a miracle across from me. So we don't want to hide. We want to show up. We want to let people see our eyes. That's why we want to make amends to people so they can see us and, and then we live a good life and they can see us as an example. He shouted great tidings. I saw that my friend was much more than inwardly. We're on page 12. Reorganized. On the top of 12, I underlined the word reorganized. Above it, I wrote what I look like. What I look like after working. After working one through nine. And continuously 10, 11, and 12 and continuously 10, 11, and 12. So above the word reorganized, I wrote what I look like after working one through nine and continuously 10, 11, and 12. We should be different. We should be changed. We should be reorganized. I just read with my girls, we did big book today at a coffee shop and we talked about one of my favorite parts in the whole big book where it says, we feel a man is unthinking when he says sobriety is enough. Obviously, I need to be sober in order to get any of this, but being sober is not enough. We need to be reorganized. We need to be, we need to be so different from what we were when we came in that the two of us, the old Carly and the new Carly, would not even be able to sit in a car ride together because we couldn't stand each other. I've heard many times in this room, the old Carly needs to die in order for the new Carly to survive. The... My, uh, the person I was when I got here and the person I am today as a result of the steps are so different. We oppose each other morally. And what they're telling me is I'm going to look and sound and feel and think and live and breathe differently when I do this work. It is impossible to do this work continuously and not change. I underlined he was on a different footing. His roots grasped a new soil. And next to that, I wrote spiritual experience equals changed man. Spiritual experience equals changed man. Despite I underlined the living example of my friend, and that's what we are. We are living examples. I love the idea that we might be the only big book someone's ever going to see. 
one of my girls had to go to an event that she didn't want to go to and I told her to sit up front and take notes and she did and when it was over she helped the woman that was leading it clean up all the paperwork and clean up the chairs and the woman said to her nobody has ever helped me clean up before and my sponsee messaged me that night and she said to me that's because I'm in AA that's because she was taught well that we don't just stay sober and attend. We show up and we help and we make it better. And that is an living example. She changed the perception from her actions. It says, there remained in me the vestiges of my old prejudice. The word God still aroused a certain antipathy. I want to say something here. When I first start working with a new person, I always stop and I say to them, I use the word God when I talk about my higher power. It's not religious. It's just the word that I use that makes sense and works for me. However, if that word brings up something that blocks you from hearing what I'm saying, please tell me and we will find a different word. About 30% of the time, the new girl cannot hear the word God and we come up with higher power, power of the universe, just power, HP, um, whatever is going to work for them. Usually about two to three weeks in, I hear her using the word God. And I'm like, whoa, why are you using that word? I thought you can't stand that word. And she's like, I just realized it wasn't that big of a deal. But I don't want her to not be able to hear me because the word I'm using is blocking her. It says, when the thought was expressed, I underlined that there might be a God personal to me. Here's that idea again. This feeling was intensified. I didn't like the idea. I could go for such conceptions, and here are some conceptions that Bill has. Creative intelligence, universal mind, or spirit of nature. But I resisted the thought of a czar of the heavens, however loving his sway might be. I have since talked with scores of men, I underline, who felt the same way. So Bill is complaining and arguing. And Abby gets frustrated with his old buddy as he's arguing, and thank God he says this next sentence, which literally changed Alcoholics Anonymous forever. My friend suggested what then seemed a novel idea. He said, why don't you choose your own conception of God? I underlined that, I highlighted that, I starred that. I wrote on the side, spiritual message. I wrote, takes away all arguments. Spiritual message, and I wrote, takes away all arguments. Here's what was not really explained to me, but I can share with you out of my experience. My conception of God changed since I got sober. And it is evolving and changing as I go through life, and as life comes at me, and as my needs change. I explain it to my girls like this. Think about your first cell phone. In the beginning, the cell phones, like the coolest thing about them were how small they could make them. So one of the first cell phones I had, which was a black and white teeny little screen, was the size of a credit card. And I could fit it in my back jeans pocket. And it was literally the same length as my credit card. And that was so cool. Then there was the flip phone. And that was so cool. And then with the little buttons on it. And I could text so well. And I loved that. And then people came out and they had this smartphone, and I was really apprehensive about the smartphone. I was like, I don't want that. I'm really good at texting, and I don't want to start with something new. And everyone's like, no, you have to try it. Finally, someone showed me their smartphone and let me play around with it, and I was like, wow. And when I got my first smartphone, it changed everything. 
And then someone was like, oh, you have to get this smartphone. No, you need to get this one. Oh my God, you have to get the five. No, you have to get the six. No, you have to get the seven. No, you have to get the eight. No, there's a 10. Why do we keep going back and paying so much money and changing our plans and going to the Apple store and waiting in line for upgrades when the phone that we had was amazing? And the reason why is when I have a four and someone tells me that the six is able to do this, this, and this, that the four can't do, I say to myself, huh, I need something that's gonna take better pictures. I need a voice that's gonna talk to me. I need someone that's gonna tell me where to go and that's gonna guide me. I need this and I need a bigger screen. I need that, blah, 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 blah. And whatever the new thing is, I willingly turn in my favorite phone to the Apple store and get a new one for more money. And then the one I'm holding, I will trade in again when my contract is up and they have something better and faster. But I'm gonna hang on to the same God that I was taught about in Sunday school that never worked for me for the rest of my life and not be willing to change that. And what I tell the girls I'm working with is, why don't you upgrade your God? Why don't you go and sit down with yourself and figure out what kind of God do you need to get through your life. When I first got sober, the God I needed, someone said to me, you need to choose your own conception of God. And I said, I don't even know what that, I don't even know where to begin. I believed in God. It was the kind of God where God could see everything I did. I was not really worth anything to God because of the way I lived. And I only reached out to God when I was in a lot of trouble, when I was really sick from what I was doing, or when I was terrified and I wanted out. And I begged God and I bargained with God and I had no relationship. So I believed in God, but no relationship. When I first got sober, the guys I was talking to in AA said to me, what do you need from God? And I thought about it and I, I said, I need courage because I can't breathe and I can't do this with, I have no courage. I'm so afraid. And so that's what they said. They said, God is courage. And so in the beginning, God was courage. So I would say, God, please give me the courage to go to the Tuesday night meeting. And I would walk my feet into the meeting and I would show up and God would give me the courage to do it. And my God has evolved and evolved and evolved as life has happened. So on 12, it says, after that squiggly writing, I underline the next little teeny paragraph. That statement hit me hard. It melted the icy intellectual mountain whose shadow I had lived and shivered many years. I stood in the sunlight at last because it removed the big shadow that was blocking me that needed to be a certain way. And this is opening up a whole nother world for me. Choose what makes sense to you. Nothing makes sense to you? Fine. Perfect. Wonderful. What do you need God to be? Right? So the next paragraph I underlined, it was only a matter of being willing to believe in a power greater than myself. I kept underlining nothing more was required of me to make my beginning. I wrote on the side, willingness is the first stone in the foundation. Willingness is the first stone in the foundation. All I have to do is be willing to believe. I don't have to believe. I have to be willing to fake it till I make it, that whole idea. It says, I saw that growth could start from that point. I underlined, upon a foundation of complete willingness, I might build what I saw in my friend. A couple of things here. I circle the word build. They're going to use the concept of a spiritual structure a lot. A foundation and a spiritual structure. <coughs> 
And they're telling me that the foundation of my new structure that I'm going to live in is going to be of complete willingness. My sponsor said, the way that you know that someone is willing is that they're doing the work. The way that you become willing is from desperation. So I wrote next to complete willingness, I wrote through the gift of desperation. Through the gift of desperation. I become completely willing when I'm completely desperate. And when I've got a girl that's not willing to do the work, I say to her sometimes, maybe you're not desperate enough. Or maybe you're not done. Because for me, when I finally got done, after my walk out of Oblenitz Hospital, after trying to kill myself, after six days sober, after unsuccessfully doing that and walking out of the hospital against medical advice, I walked out of that hospital desperate, tired, and out of plans. And when I finally got the nerve to call my sponsor back and say, I need help, I don't know what to do, and she said to go to the woman's meeting that night, which was the last thing I wanted her to tell me, and tell them what you just did. I did it not because I thought it was a good idea or wanted to do it because I had no other option. Which is why the big book tells us, if you don't think that you're a real alcoholic, go out and try some controlled drinking. It says, would I have it? Of course I would. Thus was I convinced that God is concerned with us humans. I underline when we want him enough. Again, I only want something enough when I'm desperate enough. I underline the next sentence. At long last, I saw, I felt, I believed. Scales of pride and prejudice fell from my eyes. I underlined, a new world came into view. And next to that, I wrote, see the whole picture when I look at life through the steps. See the whole picture when I look at life through the steps. And we're going to talk about that a lot when we go through the, the main four through nine steps. We're going to separate here. We're going to start next week. We're going to finish Bill's story. I promise. It's so yummy and juicy. And page 13, which is the next page, just hammers through the steps. Thank you so much for your time. Have a great week. It's up to you.